0: In 2021, Governor Murphy of New Jersey signed a bill into law extending civics education into the middle school level. The acting commissioner of education, Dr. Angelica Allen McMillan said, quote, while civics has been a key element of our state's learning standards for decades, This new law greatly increases the focus and attention that schools will place on civics instruction. The additional instruction that students will receive will ultimately lead to a well-informed and well-rounded citizenry." Democratic Senator Shirley Turner said, "...government leaders have been sounding the alarm about the civics crisis in this country for years, and I am grateful we are finally taking action." Senate Republican Leader Tom Kane said, A well-rounded education in civics is essential for creating knowledgeable, engaged citizens who understand the sacrifices and hardships made on behalf of our democracy. There's a bunch of other quotes as well. But why is it, if it was such a great law, that every history teacher I've spoken to about this law felt it was a slap in our faces. Teachers, are your digital assignments getting lost in the black hole of a digital folder? Can I suggest a solution? Fan School. Fan School is a safe and social learning network where students own and share their learning. Think of Fan School as a digital bulletin board for your students' work. Take a look. Go to fan.school today. That is fan. Dot school. And imagine what your classroom space will look like on Fan School. Welcome to your Parent Teacher Conference, where a 24 7 parent and full time teacher discusses issues and concerns from both points of view in an attempt to bridge the gap for the sake of kids. So relax, grab a coffee or other comfort drink, and let's talk about it. Hello and welcome to your parent-teacher conference. I'm Coach Cullen, your host, and on this podcast we try to bridge the gap between teachers and parents to have a better understanding of each other for the sake of our children. If you found this episode through twitter or facebook and you enjoyed it please feel free to retweet it or share it out on facebook if you've been a long time listener i appreciate it if you share it with a friend just say hey you know this is pretty good podcast and this good guy talking about different issues that are on his mind and also helps his marriage out because he doesn't have to talk about it with with his wife and that's one of the reasons i have this podcast is so my wife doesn't have to hear all the thoughts that are in my head just say, hey, um, all you got to do is type in the parent-teacher conference into like Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify, and you'll find it. It's the guy with the baseball hat drinking a cup of coffee. And if you'd like to continue the conversation, like I always say, please feel free to reach out to me by email. It's ptcpodcast411 at gmail.com. P is in parent, T is in teacher, C is in conference, podcast Four One One all one word, at gmail.com. And I've had several of you reach out, and we've had good discussions back and forth in some of the topics that I presented. So I really do enjoy that aspect of it. I realize that a podcast is more like a lecture. and it's, It's very different than I am in the classroom. I like it when kids interact with the material live right at the moment. And obviously the podcast, that isn't happening unless you're in an interview. So send those emails out and get into the conversation. It's been a really great part of doing this podcast for the last year. In the introduction, you're probably wondering why would social studies teachers be a little angry that New Jersey passed a civics law? You would think that as social studies teachers, we would understand the importance of a civics education for our young people. And we do. That's that's the problem. That is where the anger is coming from. I mean, it's typical of politicians, isn't it? And, and it's both sides of the aisle. They pass a law and then they become pompous as if they've done something that has never been done before. Now, things will change. People will be more civics-minded. Because we passed a law. it's That's garbage, that's not true. The the reality, the reality is this, a good social studies teacher realizing they're teaching social studies because social studies is a collection of all the social sciences, right? History, economics, sociology, psychology, and civics. You combine that all together Yes, most middle school social studies courses have emphasis on history. But a good social studies teacher incorporates all the other social sciences, especially civics. It's It was as if when I remember this being passed since it was my home state, it was passed in. I remember hearing the platitudes of the congressmen and women and the governor, you know, Patting each other on the back, we've done something better than the teachers are providing already. How how do you think that makes teachers feel? I mean, honestly, but it's again, if we're going to teach civics, we have to teach our students that that's typical of politicians. They think they have all the answers, and if it does, if they don't do it, it isn't getting done. It's it's a horrible mindset. And and you, you realize why. It's because they need to go to the voters every couple of years and explain what they did when they really didn't do anything, which is really a part of this civics education bill or law now. It really doesn't change the status quo. I mean, I guess if there is a teacher somewhere in a school in New Jersey that is Not teaching civics at all, but I highly would doubt that's happening. And let's be honest where this is coming from. I'll tell you the year, and you can guess the event. 2016. What major news event shocked the world in 2016? The election of President Trump. New Jersey is a heavily Democratic state didn't go for Trump. And again, like I have told you in the past, I'm not a Trump supporter. Didn't vote for Hillary either, by the way, though. And maybe from how I presented this law about civics, you may have guessed my feelings about politicians in general. But there was this definite feel in the years leading up to this bill being signed into law that the reason President Trump was elected is that people didn't know enough about civics. There were people who did not want President Trump to win, who had this view of superiority, that they were able to avoid the manipulations of President Trump because they knew civics. If people knew civics like they knew civics, it would have never have happened. And that's really the topic of this episode is polarization. Because that's what thoughts like that lead to. Instead of trying to understand why people voted for President Trump, instead they take a self-righteous view or an arrogant view that they weren't as good as them or they weren't as smart as them. My parents voted for President Trump and I'll tell you why. It's not because they're racist. It's not because they're stupid. It's not because they're good people. They're great people. They feel like they've been forgotten. That's it. They they were the constituency that the former Democratic Party focused on. My father was a union worker for years, very strong union supporter. I'm not even going to say, I'm going to go a little stronger than forgotten. I'm going to say he feels that people like him are now being ignored. And their struggles are unimportant. And I'll tell you, someone who hit that on the head, if, if people were truly listening in 2016, Michael Moore, definitely not a Trump supporter, right? He basically said that's the reason that people are turning to Trump. But instead of trying to find out the reasons and saying, okay, what can we do for those people to bring them back into our fold? Because they were the Democratic Party base for, you know, for decades in the 20th century. What can we do to bring them back? Instead, they're demonized. And that's a result of polarization. And, hey, don't get me wrong. Trump fed on the polarization himself. You lock her up, lock her up, was just firing up his base to vote against Hillary. Trump's vulgarities and bombasticness fed people's lesser angels. So one of the things I try to do in the classroom is to provide both sides of an issue, because I know my students are bringing into the classroom these ideas, be it from their family, their friend, etc. You have a, you know, we always talk about diversity. Well, there is going to be a diversity of political views as well. And we can't get caught up in trying to polarize one side or the other or make absolutist statements on one political view or another. That is why you see the rush to use hyperbole in the attack of an opposing point of view. No longer is, I disagree with that and here are the reasons. It's, you're a fascist or you're a groomer. And from there, we try to attempt to put ourselves on the moral high ground, even though we just extrapolated the other person's view to the extreme. And now we can say, I'm against hatred. I'm against harm to children. But the person with the opposing point of view might not be full of hatred and may agree with you. They don't want harm to happen with ch- to children. Again, you've just extrapolated that out to its extreme stance to give you the moral high ground, which you really don't have because you're lying. And you really don't want to find room to compromise. You don't want to find areas of agreement and to work towards things that you can agree upon that are wrong, rather than to just denounce the other side as wrong and feel like you've accomplished something. So it was with great excitement that when I received my copy of the NJEA review for April 2023, I saw an article called Information Literacy in a Polarized Era. I was hoping to get some great ideas to bring into the classroom with me because I would agree that this is a problem. Talking about civics in the classroom, one of the things with civics is you need to allow people with opposing points of view to share their view. And of course, They need to back up their opinion with facts. I've always said this. For over 30 years, I have graded essay upon essay. I have, at times, graded essays that I personally disagree with the opinion as A plus excellent. Because I don't go into reading the essay saying to myself how well... Does this person agree with Mr. Cullen? I go into it saying, how well does the student express their opinion, back it up with facts, and write it in a way and using words and techniques to engage me, to make me think? And there have been times that students have handed in an essay that I absolutely agree with the opinion, and I've graded it low, C's and D's, because it's the other way. I may agree with the student, but it wasn't well defended. The grammar was awful. They use very basic language to express themselves. It looks rushed. And and I know that this is an issue. Like You ask a college student, they'll flat out say, I'm going to write down whatever the professor wants me to write down. And that's wrong. That is wrong. So anyway, back to the article. It starts out like this. It gives them few a few facts. You know, fact. Throughout history, reasonable people have disagreed on the best solution to problems. I say that all the time. I, I agree with that. And the second one. Disagreement pushes people to construct persuasive arguments from a shared set of facts. I, yep. So far, so good. In fact, a lot of early on in this article, I'm in full agreement. One thing. Our work as educators is exceedingly difficult in a polarized post-truth era. Agree. And then they... And then the author of the article quotes UNESCO, where it says, quote, Information literacy empowers people in all walks of life to seek, evaluate, use, and create information effectively to achieve their personal, social, occupational, and educational goals. And then it goes on to talk about that adults lack information literacy skills. So, and, in, and then it goes on in New Jersey, there's legislation, another law passed saying that due to this crisis of information literacy, there is now added yet another thing to the curriculum that probably was there in the first place, but of course has to mandate it to make p- politicians feel like they've done something to emphasize information literacy in K-12. through 12. And that's about as much as I would agree with in the article, because then it goes on to be polarizing. That's right. The article that's titled, Information Literacy in a Polarized Era is Polarized. One thing when I'm talking about informational literacy with my students or how to read a news article to understand what's going on, it's not always about the facts presented. One thing that is key is to ask yourself, what isn't being said? And that's vital. It's vital when you're trying to understand, are you truly being allowed to make a determination based on the facts? Or is the absence of key facts pushing you to accept the conclusion of the presenter? For the past few years in my class, I present a story, it's a true story, about a young girl who wanted to play... For the boys basketball team we watch news reports of this story and I ask the students why wasn't the girl allowed to play and eventually it gets to sexism right? that that is what is being presented to them that the girl isn't being allowed to play because she's a girl who wants to play on the boys team then I ask why isn't there a girls team and they quickly say well not enough girls went out for the team well, how do you know that's the reason? Well, the person who, the reporter said that. Well, what does the school say? Well, we didn't hear from the school. So, do we really know that's the reason why there wasn't a girls' team? Well, that's what the family says. Okay. But what does the school say? Well, we, you know, and some kid will say, well, the school's trying to hide something here because they knew they did something wrong. And, then we talk about well that's not true schools cannot give out information in fact in this situation the family can talk a lot more but the school needs to keep information about that child confidential a lot of middle school kids don't realize that that it, it, it makes the school always out to be in a bad light but they just can't they usually put out a press release right saying um we can't talk about matters of students currently in our school, something to that effect. Then, you know, we'll ask, well, what are some reasons why girls wouldn't want to play on the team the following year? And one thing is maybe people move. They're not going to the school, to private school. Maybe they couldn't go the next year, so the numbers went down. And then eventually somebody will say, well, I know sometimes I don't want to play a sport because I don't like the coach. And that is when I reveal, well, the coach was the girl's mom. And that brings up a whole lot of other discussions, right? All of a sudden, that's a key piece of information that wasn't in the news reporter's story. The other thing that wasn't in the news reporter's story was anybody else in town or any other parents whose kids go to that school. There was a big Facebook group in support of the school not allowing this girl to play on the boys' team. So is everybody in the town sexist? The reporter wanted to present one story, that this was sexism. Eventually, because of this and many other reasons, the family took the school to court. And then the kids get to see the Cardinal of the Archdiocese, where the school was located, what his opinion was. And then they read portions of the judge's three-hour verdict siding with the school against the family. And my students start to realize that this has nothing to do with sexism. That as the Cardinal said, this was really a story about one family causing a lot of turmoil for a school community which the judge on the case, when reading his, again, three-hour-long decision, was in agreement that that was truly the problem. But like I said, when if you just were to watch the original news stories, there were a whole lot of missing facts that were there if the reporters decided to dig a little more. Instead, they presented it as an issue of sexism, and who isn't against that? I remember when I first heard the story, I was like, just let her play. Let her play on the boys' basketball team. What What's the harm? It's a middle school team. It's not a big deal. But as you get to see more of the story, like, like even some kids at the end will say, I think she should have been allowed to play, but it wasn't a sexist decision. But getting back to this article that I'm reading, when I read it, That's what I felt. Uh, Here is this article that is supposed to be helping with informational literacy in a polarized era. And you have to ask questions of yourself, what information is not being included in the article. One of the subheadings in the article is all is politicized. And that's intriguing because this is a mantra that you'll hear among educators, some educators, not all that education is political. In fact, in an a- NEA article in December of 2018, a guy writes, the title is, I should say, Education is Political, Neutrality in the Classroom Shortchanges Students. And the idea of the classroom being political comes from an author named Paulo Freire and his book, and his book, The Pedagogy of the Oppressed, where his intent is to make the classroom into a political laboratory for his political point of view, which was Marxism. And This, and this is a very popular text in some teacher preparatory programs. So deconstructing Ferrer here a bit, what is he really after? What he is after is education, the classroom, the teacher to be polarizing. That's the goal. There's only going to be one pole in the classroom. And that's going to be the progressive far left, in which the more traditional liberal view of, hey, I may not agree with your conservative view, but you have every right to espouse it, is rejected. Of course, there's always the problem with the teacher as authority, right? If the teacher feels it is their duty to express their political views to a classroom... That creates a manipulative power imbalance. Most social studies teachers I know would reject that. They want to have a classroom where they are the facilitator, allowing students to freely share their opinions as long as they back them up with facts. They do not want a polarized classroom. But let's go back to the article, this all is politicized. The author mentions Glenn Beck of The Blaze. He's conservative, The Blaze is a streaming channel, and I guess one of the reporters on the streaming channel and website wrote about this law that was passed in New Jersey to put informational literacy in the curriculum that this writer wrote, quote, the legislation has some parents and critics concerned that news organizations with certain political leanings will be labeled more trustworthy than others, ultimately leading to indoctrination. And what does the writer go on to do is confirm the fear. The author presents a website called All Sides. In fact, i never heard of this before, and I, I am thankful I did get something out of this article. Allsides.com. So if you're a teacher, even if you're a parent, it kind of gives both sides. In fact, All Sides says don't be fooled by media bias and misinformation I guess that is their goal. Well, the writer of this article, the, the, the subheading is the false equivalency of all sides. That they create a false equivalency of sources on the left and the right. And then the writer goes on to blast which side of the political spectrum. What do you think? The political right, of course. So let's go back to what I tell my students. What isn't in the article? No critique of the political left. No critique of the progressive left. By not providing an example of left-leaning bias in media, you are implying there is no bias in left-leaning media. In fact, typically what they say is, there's no such thing as left-leaning media. There's conservative media, and then there's the media. And that is just not true. And if you're a parent, that should be concerning to you. On the right or the left, your child should be able to express what they believe, what you're teaching them from home in the classroom. As long as it's done respectfully, as long as they back up what they believe with facts, they should be able to say their opinion just like any other kid. Take two hot button issues right now, abortion and transgenderism. Are students free to share their point of view either way on either issue? It is the way of the teacher to say we are not going to discuss that topic. And as a parent, you need to understand that. And that could be for a variety of reasons. Probably the main one is it's not the intent of the lesson It detracts from the lesson it detracts from the class it's really not a part of the class but if those topics are engaged in the class if the teacher is allowing discussion and then shuts down one side of it that's censorship not even just teacher censorship that is government censorship and i think a lot of times people get this backwards So you probably have seen recently parents going in front of school board meetings asking for certain books not to be in the school library or they're questioning certain parts of the curriculum. And people are quick and even the news media is quick to say those parents want to censor things. The school wants to be deliverers of democracy. It's backwards. Parents expressing their views of what a government school, the public school, should have or not have in the classroom is democracy. I think a lot of teachers who work in a public school don't realize we represent the government in this case. And I think we need to think about that because if we shut down a student's point of view because it offends our political sensitivities, we are the censors. We are the government censoring speech. And I'm going to go back to something I said earlier. Remember, I I talked about when I read an essay that I don't care if I agree or disagree with the opinion. It's really about the structure of the essay, how well it's written, how well it is backed up by facts. And then I made the comment that we all heard that as you get into higher levels of education, kids will admit, I just write down whatever the teacher believes. And that's not getting you to think, it's getting you to be a little puppy following your owner. And if you're a teacher and you are grading based on how close a student is getting to your point of view in a public school, I guess even in a state college, you're, you're taking away the right of freedom of speech. Now we always think of freedom of speech as in the sense of the positive. I can say what I want about the government. But there's another aspect of freedom of speech that we miss. And it's this. The government can't coerce my speech. The government can't force me to say something. That is also depriving you of your freedom of speech. Because you're not freely being able to say what you really want to say. So if students are writing essays strongly feeling that if I don't write down the opinions of my teacher, you're coercing them. That shouldn't happen in a classroom. The classical liberal idea always was, if people are saying bad ideas, the solution isn't silence them. The solution is for more people to stand up and use their freedom of speech or putting it very shortly, the best cure for bad speech isn't less speech, but more speech. And if we're going to have a polarized classroom where only one political ideology is going to be allowed to exist, what you're going to get is groupthink, and you're going to be missing solutions to problems because you're not allowing all speech. We started out this episode talking about New Jersey civics law, the importance of a civics education. And if educational leaders are going to polarize the classroom and only present one view, the view that most agrees with them, then I'm sorry to say, you can pass a thousand civics laws. Each and every one of those laws are going to be a farce. Thank you for joining me on the Parent Teacher Conference Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this podcast with friends. They can be teachers, they can be parents, they can be someone who's just interested in education and parenting. If you have a comment, a question, or an idea for a future topic, please feel free to reach out to me at podcast 411 at gmail.com. podcast 411 at gmail.com. Remember, A good teacher cares deeply for their students, but good parents love those students, their children, deeply.